صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, Rob. How are you? Mate, I'm very, very well. I've had a great week. It was good catching up with you this week. Yeah, fantastic. And I just one day, maybe you'll say this story, but I've been killing myself laughing about your triathlon story. All the way home, I was killing myself. So maybe at some stage, we'll actually get you to say it because you, you made my day. <laughs> How are you? It's important that our listeners know that aside from being, you know, uh, as great as we are, I'm also a, an accomplished triathlete in the over 40s section, uh, Melbourne, 2016. Yep. But anyway, more importantly, Rob, we are uh, joined by a wonderful guest, our friend, Dr. Geordie Silverstein. She's a historian who lives on Wurundjeri land. She's the author of Anxious Histories, Remembering the Holocaust in Jewish Communities at the Beginning of the 21st Century, and a co-editor of the In the Shadows of the Memory, the Holocaust and the Third Generation, and the forthcoming Refugee Journeys, Histories of Resettlement, representation and resistance. Good morning, Geordie. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on. We're really excited to hear from you. You've got a really great story, Geordie. So perhaps we'll lead it off with a very simple one. Tell us your Palestine story, your journey to Palestine. Sure. So, yeah, I'm Jewish. I'm a granddaughter of Holocaust survivors and also of other kind of British Jews. My family all came here post-war. Um, post, yeah, World War II. Grew up in a reasonably Zionist family and community. People who know the Melbourne Jewish community at large know that it's quite a Zionist community. Um, and so that's where I grew up and I attended um, a Jewish high school. It's a explicitly a Zionist school. Um, so that's kind of the world in which I grew up. Um, and... Then I went to university and I went out of that, a bit further out of that community. And when I was in first year, I did this subject called Indigenous Politics in the State. And it was taught by an academic, um, Dr. Wayne Atkinson, who's a Yorta Yorta man. And it was a wonderful subject because it was the first time I'd studied Aboriginal history um, in any serious way, but it, you know, in learning about colonisation in Australia, I just kind of started to put things together and started to think about colonisation generally um, and sort of started to think about Israel in a new way. And so over the years of my undergraduate and then postgraduate degrees, I just kept reading and learning and thinking more deeply about Palestine and Palestinians and you know I don't know in my schooling that I we ever talked about Palestinians or Palestine we certainly talked extensively about Israel but Palestinians were made very absent so yeah and at university I just really start to 
think about Palestine and Palestinians and started to think more critically about Zionism and about Israel um, as I was doing my PhD and thinking about Holocaust memory and how do we remember the Holocaust. I was thinking more deeply about um, what does it mean to connect the Holocaust and Israel in the way that Zionist narratives do? Um, what does the nation state mean? And it's, you know, it led me to really question um, the formation of the nation state for anyone um, and to really believe in the possibilities of a world without nation states and what that could create. Um, to really think about, you know, Zionism, you know, it was this marginal political movement before the Holocaust, it wasn't the dominant Jewish political ideology and then post-Holocaust it becomes that and so I just sort of started to learn more about this history to learn more about the fact that there are other ways of being Jewish there are other forms of Jewish political expression other forms of Jewish self-determination so there was kind of that piece of thinking differently about Jewishness but then also you know that thinking about Palestinians and and meeting Palestinians for the first time um, and learning from them and seeing that our lives are connected, that our struggles are connected. Um, Thinking about colonialism as a transnational thing, as something that's occurred in so many places around the world. And yeah, so I've been, sorry, that was a very long answer. (laughs) No, 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 it's fantastic. it's, It's really fantastic. I was just going to ask, yeah. when you started to learn that it wasn't what you had been taught, what was your initial feeling? Because I know some people had the initial feeling of being, I've been lied to or I've been misrepresented things. Yeah. What, what was your feeling? It was absolutely that. And it was particularly, um, I read this piece by Ella Shohat called, sorry, Zionism from the Sephardim in Israel. Zionism from the perspective of its, of its Jewish victims. So the title's a riff on the Edmund Said piece. But she talks about how Israel has treated Sephardi and Mizrahi Jews. And I don't know if you both have read this piece, but um, when I read it, it blew my mind. And she, she tells this different story to what I'd ever been told. And it was sort of touching on some moments that I, of, you know, Jews being taken out of, um, North Africa and in the Middle East and brought to Israel. Mm. And I'd always been taught of that as this moment of rescue and this great event. And she shows how, you know, awful it was for so many people and how it was really dislocating and the problems that it led to in Israel-Palestine. And, and my, I was furious when I read that piece. And I remember, I, I remember that anger really probably of just... And, and when I read more about how Israel has treated Palestinians and um, understanding what occupation actually looks like, understanding, um, you know, what, what is going on and what has gone on for so long. And, and it, it was really this sense of having been lied to and this sense that I think what angered me was I thought if, you, if people want to believe that Zionism is the answer, then at least reckon with what it has done. At least be honest and say, this is the cost of this form of Jewish self-determination and we think that's okay. Don't hide it. Don't lie to us and pretend that these things never happened. Yeah. Um, be honest about what it was and say that we agree. But 
the fact that they can't even tell us what actually happened. Yeah, it's it's awful. It's it's frustrating. It's it's dehumanising to everybody involved. Well, I think that's a word that uh, should be used a huge amount when it comes to the poor Palestinians, you know, the treatment by Israel. With your um, upbringing or the talk of Israel, when you met a Palestinian, did you go there with preconceived ideas or had your reading sort of started you to deprogram the way you were thinking and went there with open arms? Yeah, so I went, I've been to Palestine twice. Yeah, I once when I was doing my PhD research and I stayed with my high school best friend who had, we say had made Aliyah, who had moved to Israel. Um, and this was sort of the end of our friendship. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, how strong is it these days? But no, that makes yeah. Sense. <laughs> yeah, I stayed with her. She lived in Tanya. Um, and we just kind of... Yeah, I, I went, um, I spent a day um, with Mahzom Watch, the, who are a group of Israeli women who stand at the checkpoints and monitor the checkpoints um, with the idea being that um, they would, that having the presence of a, like a Jewish mother figure watching soldiers will affect how they treat Palestinians without like going into what we think of that as a project it was a transformative day for me, for sure. It was, um, and I went, I made that connection to them and went there because I had these questions and I wanted to see what it was. And I didn't really know how to go to the West Bank. Um, I was, I mean, I wasn't that young. I was 24, but um, I didn't. It's a scary thing to do, especially with what you've been taught. I mean, not yeah, a, it was just. Come naturally it naturally to do it. It was very foreign, I guess. And legitimately so and this felt like a way to kind of see what was going on um and yeah so it was a very strange I was in Palestine for a month and yeah it was a very strange month um traveling around a lot and um spending time there um and so yeah that was in 2007 and I was very much critical and questioning and, and um, but still on the journey, but a journey that I'm still on to unlearn all the things that I've learned and been told for most of my life, um, or I guess half my life at this point. Um, but hopefully, hopefully much less than half. <laughs> um, but yeah, then I went back again a couple of years ago with a group called Centre for Jewish Nonviolence um, and they're, it's an international group who have made, have established these relationships with, <coughs> excuse me, with Palestinians, um, throughout the West Bank and East Jerusalem, um, and now further throughout, um, 48. And they basically we engage in co-resistance work. So we spent, we were broken into groups and, and I spent a few days in Hebron, um, basically cleaning out the backyard of, those group of us sort of cleaning out the backyard of a woman who lives with settlers on top of her and they threw rubbish into her garden and had destroyed her entry path. And so we cleaned that out. Um, and then working, this was directed by Palestinian groups 
um, by youth against settlements. Um, and then we did this big action of it was all these different Palestinian groups and Israeli groups um, on the Friday. And we basically helped a family who had been kicked out of their homes in the South Hebron Hills, out of their cave homes. We helped them reclaim their land. Um, and they're still there a few years on. Um, That's beautiful. And... Yeah, it's called Youth of Sabud and and they still have their home. They we help them we all work together to get their homes back. And I think that's probably the most um consequential thing I've done in all my activism. It was so real and um to reclaim land, help people reclaim land is a wonderful thing. Um yeah, and, you know, as we were driving out in the minibuses at dawn, to, we were trying to get there, you know, we were worried that the army would find out and would stop us and the army didn't come in until the Saturday night after Shabbat um, had gone out. Um, and, yeah, so the army came in and sort of stole the generator and um, sort of pushed people around and... It was quite full on for me, <laughs> but, um, but that sort of thing changes you forever. I mean, it's it's yeah. It to me, once once you see it, you can't. Yeah. Understand. Yes, it's not possible to do that. Yeah, um, and it was so clear the connections between Australia and there, the, the colonial connections that Australia is also pushing Aboriginal people off their land constantly and reclaiming land and reclaiming the ability to live on your land without state intervention is a problem here. And that was so in my mind as, as we drove out um, to, to the spot that we would be working at. Um, it was really quite profound, I think, and, and really, I think those connections are really important. Because we don't get taught, as Australians, we don't get taught about that at all. The only way you learn is to dig and look for it. Yeah. And um, you know, I think once you've, you did with the Aboriginal communities and the Palestinian communities, they are so similar. They are yeah. so similar that I think back then, you know, colonialism was sort of okay, whereas it was part to do with, with Israel. It's not. It's been gone for years and years and years, but they choose to do what they like and, and the rest of the countries allow it to, um, to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think colonialism still goes on here and US and Canada and New Zealand. That's, you know, these are other examples of settler colonialism. Um, and we need to see them all as part of an ongoing project. Mm. Uh, but yeah, certainly what goes on for Palestinians is the brutality is so full on and the modes of resistance are so amazing and inspiring and exciting. Um, it's, yeah, it was a real privilege and it was, a, and truly like it's a privilege that I have to be able to go there and I'm very aware that, of how lucky and privileged I am to have the access to go to Palestine and go wherever. Yeah. Um, I want there and, you know, uh, what I was the day before the sort of the trip part, I was staying with a friend in Jerusalem and messaging with a Palestinian friend who lives overseas and who can't go back. It's not an option. He can't go to, you know, he can get into the West Bank, but he can't go to Jerusalem. And, and he was saying, you know, he used to go there every day, but couldn't go. And so I'm very aware of what the Australian passport enables me to do. Um, and what? You're yeah. using it for good, which is a great thing. 
they're using access for, you know, for, for good work. You know, it's an extraordinary story, particularly when you factor in the household you grew up in. One can't but feel empathy and sympathy for the suffering of the Jewish people over a millennia and their desire for safety and self-determination. Mm. But like you said, if you're a Zionist, ju- just be honest. Stop being devious or deceptive in your explanation. Just be honest. Yeah. Um, the fact that you grew up in, in, in a house with, with, you know, Zionist leanings and went to a Zionist school to the professor in first year that you, know, you did your Indigenous politics, um, to come to that independently is, a you know, as a Palestinian, a, a, a great credit to you. I mean, Peter Beinart wrote a piece a few months ago now that has, you know, reverberated across um, Zionist mm. and Jewish circles in the United States. It, it, it's not easy to leave, as I'm sure you can attest to, and I know Anthony Lowenstein personally, and his late mother told me of the challenges she faced because of the book he wrote, mm. My Israel Question. What could a young Jewish child today or a young adult who was thinking about perhaps doesn't have quite the coach what could you say to them? What would you say to them? I think things are very different now to what they were um, when I was growing up. Um, you know, I'm in my late 30s and I think, yeah, things have changed substantially over the last 20 years. And, and I think there is more space for questioning and I guess there, there just kind of is more space for discussion. And there is, you know, the internet gives people so much access to um meet people and to build those connections and it was definitely you know in the those fledgling days of social media of being able to connect with other Jews particularly in Canada um just sort of randomly and and that sort of help that builds that space um and I guess that's kind of the thing is just read things that um haven't been given to you by your teachers or your family. Read, find, just find things to read. Search online, find your people online. Um, be open to learning new things. And I think that's a big issue. Is like I think that there is this questioning spirit, and I think that's kind of inherent to so much Jewish practice is critical thinking. Um, and I think you know there is a fear of having your family and your community turn against you. And I think that's, you know, of course that makes sense. Um, I think it's certain, for me, I think it's just, um, this this might sound strange and I know not everyone likes it when I make this argument, but also like, what's more important? Like, look at what's being done to Palestinians. If you lose a friend because they disagree with you, then that's okay, you know? Like you do good work by working, doing co-resistance work with Palestinians and that's important and you inspire younger people and, and that's important. And I think bravery is useful and important and also scary, but um, I think taking opportunities to be brave is a really good thing. Um, and also just not being like I know <laughs> I'm very aware that I've spoken a lot about um, I mean I guess I'm here to talk about myself but I've spoken a lot about Jews and like we're just not the most important people in this story and we have to learn to be quiet and listen and expose ourselves to things that we haven't you know heard before but I think that's the main thing is just 
you, we're not, we don't have to be the centre of the story. Um, mm. And there's value in being quiet and listening and learning. Well, well said, well said, Geordie. Uh, That's beautiful. And particularly as settlers ourselves here on Indigenous unceded okay. land, you know, there's a lot that we can do in our allyship with our Indigenous brothers and sisters that is exactly the same as everything you've just said. Exactly. Yeah. Well, why don't you talk us through uh, the Black Palestine Solidarity Conference last year and, and what you thought of, thought of that and your participation? Yeah, so I went along to that. It was such a beautiful conference. It was so moving um, to witness those connections being made and to witness the depth of feeling, the knowledge, the insight, the you know, Aboriginal and Palestinian genius and, and um, creativity. It was really inspiring. It was just really inspiring um, to sit and watch um, and to see this real enactment of solidarity um, and to think about what that can create. It was so cool. It was, very it was such cool. a privilege to be there, mm -hmm. yeah. It was so cool. The IHRA, International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance. Now, yep. you know, one, one of the things I'm not sure if you saw in Senate estimates about three weeks ago, Eric, Senator Abetz really grilled the managing director of the ABC as to does he know what it is? Has, uh, why doesn't he know what it is? What's taking the ABC so long to adopt it? Can you speak to that and the, the weaponization of anti-Semitism? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I didn't see that. That's really interesting. Um, but yeah, there's part of this um, IHRA definition um, tries, so sets out a definition of anti-Semitism and provides a set of examples um, of what anti-Semitism is. And a lot of those examples are around um, Israel-Palestine. And so there's growing movements. There's already large but even growing movements um, of Jews and others around the world who are saying this isn't useful, this is a weaponization of accusations of anti-Semitism, that we need to take anti-Semitism seriously. Um, clearly anti-Semitism is an issue um, in the West at the moment. Um, there's just absolutely no question about that. Um, but we have to be able to criticize Israel. It's completely legitimate to criticize Israel. It's not inherently anti-Semitic. Um, and the definition is being used particularly we're seeing on camp, university campuses in the United States to shut down discussion of Israel. Um, and it's really awful um, in that regard. And it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help eradicate anti-Semitism or educate people about what anti-Semitism is. It just serves to shut down discussion, an important discussion about what Israel is doing to Palestine and Palestinians. So yeah, I'm part of a couple of networks um, internationally who are trying to share information and, and work um, together to, um, yeah, try to not get universities or ABC or anyone else to adopt this definition as their working definition. And in fact, that the, I've forgotten his name, but the man who came up with the definition um, has written an article, I think it was in The Guardian a while ago, saying that he never intended the definition to be used in this manner. It was just meant to be used as sort of a, a information piece. It was never meant to be brought in as some sort of strict rule um, and, and to be used as a source, as a way to punish people for things that they say. 
And I think that's really helpful and instructive. And, and yeah, the IHRA definition is incredibly um, unhelpful, I would say, um, as that kind of tool. And one of the things they talk about, the new word, you know, the cancel culture, yeah. is if the people that aren't cancelled the most are Palestinians or advocates and allies of the Palestinians. Exactly. Yeah. Which we've seen recently, right? With there's been some um, Zoom has even shut down conversations about Palestine um, recently. Um, this absolutely, it's, it's yes. These are the people who are most often um, not given the space. When this IHRA definition is used, with the bulk of the when six of the eleven examples reference criticism of Israel as being forms of anti-Semitism. What you get ultimately is a situation what we had, uh, you know, our, our friend Samah Sabawi, Dr. Samah Sabawi. Mm -hmm. She um, authored a piece for the ABC during the period when Netanyahu was going to annex, you know, large swathes of the West Bank, etc. Sent it into the ABC and they were sending back edits as to, you know, can you correct this? Can you confirm that? The tone of the edits and the tone of the corrections were very, that was Zionist. Mm. Well, Samah, you know, did her best to navigate that and put in the piece and it was published. And not four hours later, a Zionist hit piece was published mm. on the um, uh, same website, Religion and Ethics on the ABC there. And it was a rebuttal, not of the article, but a, uh, not of the contention of annexation, but a complete and utter hit job on the piece and on Samah's piece. And... Yeah. What we found out later, because she made a complaint, is in fact, the ABC had been giving Samas peace to uh, the Zionist crew. Oh. And they'd had the opportunity to help with the editing, A, and B, were ready with their piece that they'd already had pub uh, ready to publish, an opportunity yeah. to publish. That's disgusting. It's awful, yeah. There's no, there's no other country out there that has the protections like Israel, do they? Yeah, and I, I mean, I guess, you know, one, I think, you know, what's really key here, it's just awful and it's an appalling treatment of Samach um, and Palestinians more generally. And it's reprehensible and it's absolutely unacceptable from the ABC. And it's, you know, like they do it for themselves. Like it's not as though, like... You know, I think a lot of people sort of see this as a question of like a Zionist lobby or an Israeli lobby having too much influence, but it's also the ABC could just say no, you know, and they need to be braver. They need to also have better politics. And, you know, there's many ways in which the ABC should have better politics than they do, but they need to stand up against this kind of stuff and just say, no, we're not showing you pieces. We're not giving you the ability to edit. Um, we're not pr publishing your rebuttal. Um, we need a better media that is, in, and as a general state of Australian media, we, we need a less racist media. Absolutely. But it's going to be tough on a, uh, on a country that hasn't reconciled itself for the crimes it committed in its foundation, that still believes yeah. we are young and free, Yeah. that incarcerates Aboriginal children at a rate nowhere else on the world where Indigenous lives and health is third world in a first world country. We're, we're a long way to go. Yep. It's that, that mentality is so pervasive across everything. I mean, 
I commented on a, a Carlton football Facebook post and, mm. and you know, they were like, the, 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 the vitriol that came back is like, you know, get over it. It's 200 years ago, as if, you know, the stolen generation oh. wasn't a, a generation ago. That, yeah. That people aren't still dealing with that pain and trauma. Yeah. And children are still being removed, right? And incarceration rates. And I, th- I think that's absolutely right. And I think there's no, there's no racial justice here until settler colonialism is dealt with. Um, it's not, you can't tinker around the edges and fix it. No. Um, it's, it's fundamental to the state of this country. Um, just as in Israel, it's fundamental to the state of Israel. There's no, there's no justice until settler colonial projects um, are over and done with. Well, Jordi, there is a lot of hope for us in the future because there are growing numbers of uh, beautiful Jewish people like yourself who can see that in the ancient and beautiful traditions of Judaism, what's happening today in Israel isn't consistent with that. Yeah. So thank you so very much for joining us today. No, my pleasure. Thank you. You know, it's Palestinians who are leading the way and I'm just learning and following. Oh, you're, you're, being, you're being too modest, Jordi. You're teaching us a lot along the journey. It's <laughs> wonderful. Um, so what we'll do also is I'll put a link to the Centre for Jewish Nonviolence. I'll put that in the podcast too. So if our listeners want to click on that and get in touch and Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week. Share the podcast. And remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.